Hi, I'm Sam, and I'd like to welcome Steve Nathan, keyboardist known for his studio work in Nashville and Muscle Shoals. Welcome, Steve. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty great. It's a it's it's an early morning, and I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, you are known as part of the Nashville A Team, a group of studio musicians from Nashville. How did you get into that group? Um, there's there's no uh, there's no trick to it or anything. You you have you just have to be good at doing that job, and um, it takes people. People hear about you. People find out about you. I, I've, for years, I've had uh, musicians from other places contact me and say, "I want to be a Nashville studio musician. Uh, I've made a, a demo tape of all of my playing. Where should I? Who should I send it to?" Or, you know, I've got a YouTube channel that shows me playing on the road with so-and-so. Who should I send that to? And I, I have to say, I've been doing this for, yikes, like 50 years. Um, I've never never met a single, we'll call them A-team musician, or a, a single uh, really successful studio musician who got their, who got their career by sending a demo tape or a video reel or or anything like that, you just have to. A, a big part of it is a. It's kind of a. It's there's an old saying: you must be present to win. And uh, if you want to be a if you want to be a studio musician in Nashville or Muscle Shoals or Los Angeles or New York, you have to go there. That's the first thing you have to. You go here, and when you come to Nashville, for most musicians who want to do the same things I did. Um, there's sort of a, a process of of building your name. So uh, this town not only uh, has a lot of record companies and, and recording artists, there's hundreds and hundreds of publishing companies for songwriters. Um, most country artists, um, and this is mostly a country state, uh, country city uh, and scene, most country artists, at least back in the day, didn't write their own songs. Uh, professional songwriters, and this is not unlike, you know, uh, in a lot of other genres of music, um, often you had great songwriters who wrote songs and then great singers who sang them. So Nashville has this uh, huge uh, population of, of songwriters and music publishers, and a um, songwriter writes a song, they have to make a demo recording of that song in order to then for the publisher to then present it to record company executives or to to artists and singers to consider uh, uh, to try and induce them to cut the song. So there's a there's just a huge industry of musicians making songwriter demos, and that's um, and uh, you know you, you may break into that because you've come to Nashville and and say you get a job playing on the road with. Uh, with a recording artist who then um, writes some songs, you get to play on their demos. Uh, some some of the other sort of established demo musicians maybe hear you playing on that, and they they like what they hear, and they recommend you to somebody else. Maybe they maybe they're going to book musicians for another songwriter who needs to cut demos, and they tell them, "Hey, I heard this piano player on so and so's session. He was really good. You ought to try him." And then little by little, you get sort of known in that world. And then 
what happens is that some of these demos, a lot of these demos find their way to the recording artists and the record producers who hear them and they go, wow, who's playing that piano there? I like I like that. And they find out who that is. And then they go, well, I'm, I'm going to use him on this record. And then you play on a record and then the musicians and the producer on that record uh, like what they hear and they start to talk you up and somebody else hires you for another record. And before you know it, you're getting calls for, for lots of records. Um, I I moved to Muscle Shoals, Alabama to, to join a, a tour. There was a, a duo called LeBlanc and Carr. And in the mid to late 70s, they had a hit record. Uh, you're too young to remember this time, but it was a top 10 record at the same time that all of the Bee Gees Saturday Night Fever records were dominating the top 10. So it was a big selling record and uh, they went on tour to support that record and uh, they needed a, they needed a second keyboardist and a friend of mine was playing bass for them. He recommended me. Um, and so I moved there. I, I went on a, a short tour with them that didn't last very long because the duo kind of split up mid tour. So uh, the the record company for the remaining uh, for Lenny LeBlanc, who was half of that duo record company said, we want to get a solo record out on you as quickly as possible. So they, he came off the road back to Muscle Shoals and um, booked this booked fame studios and hired, uh, hired all session musicians, except for me. Um, I was the only member of the road band that he felt was a strong enough player to play on the record. He liked the way I played a lot and, uh, and gave me the chance to play on the record. So while working on that record with uh, these sort of seasoned session pros, I don't know how, how much you know about Fame Studios. It was owned by Rick Hall, was yeah, kind yeah. of a legendary guy. So he's up the stairs in his office and the engineer down in the studio hearing me play on this Lenny LeBlanc record, he goes upstairs on the first break and he tells Rick Hall, man, there's a new keyboard player down there and you need to come down and hear him. So uh, we... We go back to work and Rick Hall has come down and he's hanging out in the control room and he listens to us play. And then we take another break and he walks over to me and he says, uh, I am Rick Hall. Uh, I, I like your playing a lot. Um, I'm, I'm starting Adobe Gray record next week. I'd like you to play it. And it was just like that. And uh, he liked my playing so much that I played on every record he cut for the next 13 or 14 years. Oh, wow. And, yeah. Well, you now, Muscle Shoals was a, was a pretty tight scene. There were only a, f a few players on each instrument um, who had, you know, regular work making records. He was loyal to me. I stayed loyal to him. Uh, I got a I, I got offers to go on tour several times over my 13 plus years at Muscle Shoals, but it was pretty clear that uh, the producers in Muscle Shoals expected the keyboard, expected the musicians they were going to use to be there when they needed them. So if you took a tour, you, you might have, a, you know, I got offered a, a Glenn Fry tour and a Tony Joe White tour and a couple of other things that were sort of uh, mid-act you know, mid for big, big worldwide tours. Could have been a lot of fun and a lot of money, but it was obvious that if I left, they were going to find another keyboard player and he would move in and he'd have, he or she would have my chair from that point on. So I, I stayed off the road and I did sessions and we made a lot of records that did well in Muscle Shoals. And um, eventually, uh, record producers and artists in Nashville and Atlanta and some of these other 
sort of neighboring cities where that where records were being made. We're hearing these records. They'd go, hey, I like the sound of this guy. I like whoever's playing that keyboard. I want to, I'd like to try him. So, uh, you know, before long, I was getting calls from producers in these other cities and loading up my station wagon with my gear and heading up to Nashville or over to Birmingham or Atlanta or Chattanooga. I worked in Chattanooga a lot. Um, and then, you know, so eventually I've got a lot of clients uh, in, in all of these places. Um, and after about, I'm going to say 10 or 11, 12 years, um, the, the music, the, the sort of the structure of popular music had begun to change in a way that wasn't helpful to Muscle Shoals. Muscle Shoals was a city that became, uh, it, it, it uh, grew in popularity and was famous because there were these musicians there who played this certain way and, and artists and record companies and record producers wanted their artists to cut records with those musicians. But, you know, by the mid eighties, when, when records were starting to be cut with Lindrums, um, uh, records were starting to be programmed. They were starting to be cut one instrument at a time. Uh, the, the style of music that was coming from Madonna or Michael Jackson or whoever was not sort of rhythm section based. It was uh, uh, more constructed. Um, and so the popularity of Muscle Shoals as a place to go make a record began to decline. And I found myself making more records in Nashville, more records in Atlanta, more records in Chicago, more records in, 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 you know, in, in Miami. I was all over the place making, uh, making records and making fewer and fewer in Muscle Shoals. So... Uh, my wife, um, who was never as happy living in North Alabama as, as I was because I had something cool to do, uh, she said, let's pick one of these cities and move there. And I, I picked Nashville primarily because it was still it was still a place where, where music was made by four, five, six musicians going into a room at the same time and, and uh, sort of collaboratively creating uh, something rather than that one one player at a time layering that was that had become so popular. So I came to Nashville and it, uh, unlike most people who come to Nashville cold, I didn't have to go through the uh, the hierarchy of you know finding a tour, getting on somebody's demos, getting heard. They all knew who I was. Yeah, I mean, Nashville seems like such an interesting place to like do music. Like there's so much it's Music City, right? Like that's what it's called. It's 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 uh got to be it's certainly best known for country music, but there's a lot of other music made here every day. There's tons of a lot of hip hop records are made here. Uh, old school R&B records are still made here. There's a lot of punk records being made, a lot of alternative, certainly tons of Americana, which is only a few steps away from, from traditional country, maybe. But there's just a lot of music being made here. Yeah, I mean, I looked at your on your website, you've got your like album credits and there's you've got like Dobie Gray, which I guess you did in Muscle Shoals. But then you have like Taylor Swift, which is the like almost the polar opposite of that. Yeah. Well, I, I I was asked this on another podcast recently. Um, I, I can't really, uh, I can't take a whole lot of credit for working on Taylor Swift's record because 
um, uh, a record company hired a producer that I worked with a lot, Byron Gallimore, and to cut what would become her first record. And he he cut four or five things. I think we cut Tim McGraw was one of them and uh, several of the songs that became her first three or four big, huge hits. But um, they rejected it. They uh, they didn't think that, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but uh, the, the marriage between artist and producer wasn't as good as it could have been. The um, something didn't quite gel, so they they uh, they they scrapped all of those recordings and they re-recorded every one of those songs with Nathan Chapman, who who uh, was a good a better fit for her. So I played on Taylor Swift, but I didn't get out. Uh, you know, I'm not on any of the records. I see. Yeah. I mean, I I guess her de- debut isn't that. It's a it's quite an album. I guess like it's it it must have been cool. You at least got to. to to play with it <laughs> yeah yeah she's a she was a, a sweet kid you could um you could tell she was laser focused on being famous on having a having a career she was um i was most impressed with her you know i, I realized she had a lot of help with a with a veteran song co-writer in liz rose who um i think did did probably more than anybody to help her develop as into the songwriter that she is but um she had a, you know, she had a great sense of what um, what would resonate with people her age. Um, she had great song ideas, and she uh, was a good learner. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's all you need. Like, a, a, it it certainly seemed to have worked out for her, right? I think a better example of uh, the, some, the diversity, and I've used this story many times too. That the diversity of what ha- what goes on every day in, in Nashville. I had a day, and it is at least 15 years ago, probably. But I, you know, we do record sessions are done in three hour blocks here. And it's because uh, it's uh, you work from 10 to one, you eat lunch, you work from two to five, you eat dinner, you work from six to nine. And in a lot of uh, a lot of instances, um, you may change musicians in the afternoon from the morning, or some of the musicians who work on the ten and the two are going to work somewhere else uh, at six o'clock. And there's a lot of changeover, so they kind of standardize the schedule. So I always tell people about the day where um, my 10 a.m. session was Reba McIntyre and my 2 p.m. session was Megadeth. So wow, yeah, that that's a quite a difference. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Dave Mustaine and and Megadeth, quite a difference from from Reba McIntyre. But um, musicians here are are they're, they're pretty broad. They're pretty diverse. Uh, uh, you know, you become a session musician, I think, in part because you know from having an ability to find your way to meaningful performances in almost any genre of music. Um, I'm not a great jazz musician, but if they throw a jazz song at me, um, I can, you know, with I can get my adrenaline, adrenaline pumping and manage to put out a performance that, uh, you know, most of the producers that, that would throw that at me are, are happy with. Um, if they throw something hip hop, if they throw something, uh, you know, completely unexpected at me, I'm familiar enough with all of the different types of music to be able to think, well, what could I do that would that would make this a better record? And then I dig into my my synthesizers and my computer and whatever you know, whatever I have for sound making, uh, and, and I'm able to come up with something. I think that the 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 most important a bit talent for a studio musician is. Uh, 
and I say this a lot too, it's it's not being the greatest musician on your instrument. You don't you don't have to be the best piano player in the world to be the best uh, studio piano player. Uh, it's much more important that you have uh, uh, listening skills and and the ability to listen to songs in their infancy and in the raw and and to conceptualize what would bring this what would bring this song elevate it and enable this artist to to communicate what they're trying to communicate with this song so uh and and that's most of the sessions we do you you'll you'll get either a, you may get a produced demo um and once in a while somebody really likes something on the demo and you copy it but most of the time they like the song the artist likes the song but they but the demo doesn't specifically suit that artist. But but you know that uh, the singer likes this song because it says something they want to say in a way they want to say it. And your job is to figure out how to make that, uh, how to translate that, how to make the best presentation of this song on a record that makes that that enables this artist to say what they want to say with the song. So there's just a lot more going on than, um, you know, than being really good at, you know, scales and, and uh, arpeggios and things like that. Yeah. It's a different I mean, it sounds like, for, well, from what I've heard from some people, like you get like a chord sheet and you just got to be pretty good at music theory and understanding like how, how to make something sound good. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Every 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 studio musician I've ever worked with can uh, it can take the chart. It's called. They'll they'll put on a tape, or the or the singer will play it on the guitar. They will they'll play you the song, and you get a pencil and a piece of paper, and you hear it, and you write down all the chords and all of the 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 rhythm that uh, is required any time that it needs to punch on beat two or any time that is there's an eighth note rest you hear all of this stuff and good studio musicians uh in one or two passes will have the entire chart and and i've seen really really great performance musicians just stunned at how do you do that people people who can sit down with a a manuscript of Rachmaninoff and play it flawlessly, but uh, to hear something once, know what it is, write it down, and then take that as just a, a skeleton of what you're going to do. And then all of these musicians, get they go into a room and they all, in a matter of minutes, know what to play or come up with things to play that that work with each other. It's... Uh, it, it, you. It's really so important that that what you play works with uh, with all of the musicians, um, and so so great studio musicians are musicians who understand that they're they're not there to show off their skills. They're not there to be the star. They're there to work with a team to create a uh, to create a greater product for somebody else. So. Yeah, I mean, it just the, being a studio musician again. It sounds like such an interesting job. You just get to play on all these different songs, have all these incredible different experiences, like like Megadeth, and then uh, gosh, like that—that's <laughs> crazy. And I know you've yeah, you've done work in all these cities: Nashville, Muscle Shoals, Atlanta. Like, what what are all the how, how do those different experiences differ? Like from where you're working? 
Um, well, the, the kind of work I did in Atlanta, when, when, when sessions began to slow down in Muscle Shoals and I was traveling all over the Southeast doing sessions, um, I had a, f a few different clients in Atlanta and some were record makers, uh, pop, mostly pop records and soul records out of uh, Bill Lowry's studio. And then I worked for a guy named Mark Aramian who did music for uh television, movies, and, and commercials, which was a, a very different experience from making, uh, making music for records. The people I worked for in Birmingham were strictly record makers, um, and I did records. Uh, uh, I did a Commodore's record in Birmingham. I did Eddie Kendricks, who was a member of The Temptations, his, his second, I think, solo record. Um, did a lot of a lot of soul soul and R and B music in in Birmingham, Chicago was Chicago was uh, two things um, a, a lot of uh, TV commercial work in Chicago, um, but I did have one account up there that was uh, an independent record company, and uh, geez, I, I made a Beach Boys record in Chicago. Now that I think about it, so um mostly the experiences were were similar in that in in all of these places the the producers would hire a a rhythm section a band of musicians who they felt would be a, you know could play well together um uh, and so I can't not not that much uh not really much different from here yeah i mean well, it must have been like I guess a lot of traveling when you were in Muscle Shoals. You you certainly did a lot, and yeah, for all these like sessions you've played on, what's your most like memorable experience? Like, do you have a favorite session or song that you've done? I don't know that I have a favorite. I um I have there was one record that I did that um that every time somebody asked me about a favorite, this sort of pops to the top of my head. And it's one almost nobody's ever heard of. Um, I, I have moments and experiences uh, that that are that will that will always be memorable. Uh, the the Mink Deville record was very very memorable. Most of the Mac McAnally records I did were extremely memorable, and for for different reasons. But the the, the McAnally records are always memorable because the songs are so intensely great. The Mary Chapin Carpenter record I did in London was very, very memorable because because her songwriting is at, at such a uh, incredible level. Same thing for uh, I played on uh, some Mark Knopfler records. Golden Heart was extremely memorable. Um, uh, I think he's I think he these are some of the I, I really like great songwriting, uh, I think. And um, I like great songwriting and producers who understand uh the importance of nuance in in the making of records, but the one I was going to mention was uh, in the 1930s. There was a, a a singer who sang with Duke Ellington named Herb Jeffries, had a big, huge hit with Duke Ellington called "Flamingo." Um, he was a crooner, um, and he he had a moment where he was standing on a corner, noticing that every Saturday in the 30s. Uh, and 40s, I guess, or every every Saturday, the movie theaters would hold would play these cowboy movie matinees, and all the kids would come. And it bugged him that there were only white cowboys. Um, and he'd been successful enough with this hit record of his to have made some money. So 
he started writing movies for a black cowboy um and he made several of these uh, uh black cowboy movies um and he was uh, he was featured on a you know like a history channel documentary for 10 minutes one time and the president of Warner Brothers Nashville saw it and was so impressed with this guy. He was at that point, he was in his late in his mid 80s, early 80s, um, and he was still singing. Um, and so the guy from Nashville, Warner Brothers, got this idea. Well, maybe this guy would make a like a Western record because Warner had a Western music division with uh, where where traditional Roy Rogers and uh, Gene Autry made made tumbling tumbleweed sort of records so we go into the studio and there's it's not there it's it's not a big but it's a small budget and uh jim ed norman's the producer and this guy herb jeffries was he's 84 years old and he's about the coolest guy i've ever met in my life and he sings he's got this deep baritone and he's just so cool and we set out to record these sort of cowboy meets big band uh music and he's just killing it um and the budget is so small that there's it, it's not direct to disc but it might as well be because there's no time for any there's no time to go back and fix there's no time to punch in what you where you made a mistake this is we're going to get one take on each of these songs and you better get it right so there's a lot of adrenaline uh going among the musicians but this guy just puts such a huge smile on my face on every one of these songs. Um, and to this day, every I listen to that record still, and it just makes me happy listening to it. Um, so it's uh, the bronze buckaroo rides again, um, Herb Jeffries. And it, it was uh, it was some of the most fun I've ever had. Yeah, I'll make sure to listen to that. That sounds really <laughs> like like a great experience. You must have been like younger too, like pretty, a pretty young group of musicians with like your your 80 year old like Duke Ellington singer. That must have been just like such a cool experience. It was very cool. He loved the musicians. He loved all. He thought we did. We were did a great job. And um, and and some of it's uh, some of some of the songs are just extremely cornball, corny old western. You know, riding in my saddle and uh, roping calves and uh, just sort of silly cowboy songs. It wasn't really necessarily the song so much as it was listening to this guy sing and just hanging out with him for a couple of days it was it was just a whole lot of fun yeah that certainly sounds like an amazing experience and speaking of amazing oh, yeah. experience thank you so much for talking to me like this is just this is so cool to get to hear all about your your playing your your keyboards like see all your your golden platinum records on on the wall like that's just this is such an amazing amazing thing to do and i'm so grateful you you took the time out of your day to talk to me so thank you so much yeah i was happy to and you can thank billy Payne. i when i saw billy Payne talk to you i said well if billy's talking to you certainly i got to yes <laughs> yes he's nice guy you know he's a super nice guy we did a couple of records together he's a he's a great 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 player Wow. Yeah, that that's really cool. Oh, man. All right. Take care. You too. I'm Sam, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve Nathan, a studio musician from Nashville and Muscle Shoals. If you enjoyed that interview, make sure to check out my back pages on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcasting platform you use to listen to many other great interviews just like this one.